It is the 200 level episode 129, Golden Opportunity. That's the best golden gopher pun I could come up with. I got to admit, my brain is kind of mushy right now. I don't know about all of you, but it has been a caffeine-fueled Wednesday after what was a short night's sleep, and I think that's the case for a lot of people. Um, Hey, it was election day, which will become probably election week, and you know me. You know that I was certainly rooting for Biden, and and things seem promising, uh, at least in terms of a close win. But it was a long night and one in which I think the roller coaster that everyone rode, regardless of who they were rooting for, uh, that roller coaster, man, I, I felt tight and pent up like it was a big sporting event. And really, it kind of is. If you think about this election and the rooting interest in either side, it is like the biggest sporting event of the year. And it's all compounded by the craziness that has been 2020. I'll save any sort of commentary on that for the end. And, uh, you know, I've been reflecting on that, but I've also been thinking, well, wait a second. You know, there's nothing that is probably imminent in terms of a result. And that being the case, we got some fish to fry of our own here with Illinois sports and Illinois football and Illinois basketball. And we're going to start with that. We are, after all, a sports podcast. And I know I say that to the degree where you might be thinking, Carp, are you just trying to convince yourself of that? But no, truly, we are a sports podcast. And we're excited to uh, get back to it on Saturday with Isaac and Trevor and maybe Harry. We'll see. It's going to be another second half podcast during the Illinois-Minnesota game, which is a 2.30 kick on Saturday. Hence the title, Golden Opportunity. This is a Minnesota team that has a god-awful defense. All right? God-awful. And that is an opportunity for this Illinois offense, which improved quite a bit against uh, Purdue and gave you some signs of life. And Karan Taylor under center for the second year, or sorry, second week in a row. There will be a few of those missteps in this podcast, by the way, with uh, the little sleep I'm operating on. Uh, There will be, uh, I think some potential for Illinois to come out and run the ball very well against Minnesota and occasionally take some deep strikes because you know that arm strength is not going to be a problem for Taylor under center. If anything, it's the accuracy with those short and intermediate routes, which leaves you wanting. And uh, we'll we'll get into that in a second. There's also Illinois basketball that we can talk about and a scheduling bit of news that is pretty exciting. That all, of course, if we actually get this season underway and there's so much other uncertainty with the non-conference schedule and really a big 10 schedule that is yet to be released but you know what we'll take any bit of good news that we can and that came in the form of illinois baylor today that's going to be on december 2nd i believe and that means two potential top 10 matchups in the same week so we got plenty to get to today and of course the elephant in the room being the election again i'll save that for the end but before we get into any of this a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com. Here's what they got going on. You can order online and use coupon code Mike. That's M I K E. Not like Mike Henry, not M Y K E. No, Mike, M I K E. If you do that, you get $5 calzones, which if you've ever had DPDO, you know is a ridiculously good deal. And that includes $6 premium or construction zones, which if you think the regular calzones are loaded at DPDO, try one of these construction or premium zones. They're all good, though, and here's the thing. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. That's dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4th and Kirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL, and if you do that, you get 10% off your order, and all year round, 365 days a year, you buy two T-shirts, you get one free. All of these vintage-inspired Illini T-shirts and sweatshirts, some really cool crew neck sweatshirts available there as well at 4th and Kirby.com. And finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. And Brian is my guy. He's our guy. For me and Kara, as we moved in this new house, homeowners, auto, great bundle, which is what you would expect from State Farm. But it was the process itself that was so easy and seamless. Brian and his staff took care of us, and uh, it makes us a little bit more restful sleep at night when you know you get an expert like that who has your best interest at heart. So that's brianismyguy.com for State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. Also, the Alana Inquirer, well, I bet said Alana Inquirer podcast. I was on that on Monday with Jeremy, which is a lot of fun. We do Mondays with Mike. And of course, alanainquirer.com for all the best coverage and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. 
I think that's it for formalities, apart from rating and reviewing us. We've gotten some really good reviews recently, and we appreciate all the thoughtful reviews that have come in. And uh, it, it means something to get that kind of personal feedback. Uh, reviewing us is one way to do that. Rating us as well. It's very easy, especially on Apple Podcasts, where if you go with the five-star review, that'd be great. You can go one star if you're so inclined, but the more reviews we get, the higher up we show up for Illini. If someone searches for Illini on Apple Podcast, that just helps us out. So it's building a new audience. We've had a really good month so far. Um, we're noticing an uptick about, I don't know, 75% uptick per week. And that's not surprising now that we have games to talk about. Just imagine if Illinois actually won a game. Because I can go back to the basketball season when we would do these post-game reaction pods after wins and just astronomical numbers. But unfortunately, with a game like Purdue last Saturday, it didn't really lend itself to that. Uh, before we get into Purdue, the aftermath of that, and what we expect from Minnesota, I need to give a shout out to Kevin. And Kevin is a listener of the show, and I, I know he's been listening all the way back to the days of 93.5 and follows me on Twitter and stuff, so I've interacted with him before. But he sent me a story, which is kind of a, a timeline of his Illini fandom. And how it became this full circle kind of thing when he was able to take his own son to these games. The reason that he reached out to me was because I had mentioned the Ty Douthard snow game, which was, I believe, back in 1995. And he actually found the YouTube clip of it, which was great to see. And taking me back to that day in a super cold, super snowy Memorial Stadium as Ty Douthard ran it in for the game-winning score. And it was not an easy run for him. If I recall, about a 20, 25-yard run on what was a screen pass. And he kind of absorbed this hit around the five-yard line, which, you know, on replay made me think, oh my God, how did he not get tackled? Well, if you remember Ty Douthard was an absolute bulldog. He's able to barrel into the end zone. Illinois wins that game. I remember how loud it was in the stadium at that point. And, you know, by 1995, you kind of knew that the Lou Tepper thing was not going to work, right? We kind of knew that. But yet there was still enough of that momentum, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word, from the Makovic and the Mike White era where Illinois football was certainly in a better place than it is now. You know, they were a competitive football team week in, week out. I will give Lou Tepper that until his final season in 96. They were competitive week in, week out, even with a pretty stagnant offense. I, I did like Johnny Johnson, though. I, I, it was cool to see him again on that replay. And Ty Douther, just a bruising running back. Not a lot of other names offensively that I can recall, apart from maybe, I don't know, Ken Dilger. I think Jason Dulick was a wide receiver as well. But anyways, Kevin sends me this story, and uh, it, it was a really good read and very personal kind of anecdote about his own journey as an Illini fan. And it was heartening to read that because it takes me to my own journey of the games my dad and I have been to and how in 19, or sorry, 2000, not 1999, but 2000, after Micron PC, we decided we'd become season ticket holders. And we've remained so for the last 20 years. And when we get in these moments of frustration as an Illini fan and think, well, why the hell do we got to root for this team? It is impossible to extricate yourself from your fandom. You grow up in it. It is what you absorb. There is no letting go of it, right? And even if I were to distance myself, and God knows I've tried to do that with Illinois football, and even though I don't get as angry when I see them fail time and time again, you know, uh, it still matters, and the big thing I keep going back to and why the 0-2 start to this season and the Lovey Smith era as a whole has been as frustrating as it has been is the feeling that we have lost so many opportunities for, let's call it what it is, joy, happiness, those sorts of things that other fan bases get a feel. I look at Indiana, apples and oranges comparison, but Tom Allen was not really a heralded hiring by them. He was a guy that just kind of worked his way up the coaching chain, but was by no means a superstar hire. And now you have a 2-0 Indiana team in the top 20 in the rankings, deservedly so, and looking to compete for the number two spot in the Big Ten East. And they have an identity. They have a really good defense, a serviceable offense. They are a good football program. It didn't take them that long. We're in year five of Lovey Smith, and we're still wondering, what the hell is this? You know, when I talked to Jeremy about this on Monday, I think that it was difficult for me to hold on to the same sort of vitriol that I might have felt on Saturday or maybe even to an extent Sunday morning. By the time I talked to Jeremy at, at lunch on Monday, that had kind of cooled off and it's like, well, they got another game on Saturday. And it's amazing as a fan, we pivot to that. Well, they got another game on Saturday. They got another chance. 
we pivot to that until it is too late and you know that it's going to be a losing season. And you look at this schedule, and yes, of course Illinois got a shot. Minnesota, terrible defense. You got a shot. Rutgers, Nebraska, maybe on the road, but you know what? Not particularly good. You got a shot. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, what? They could start three and two. Listen, I don't think that's likely. I don't think any of us think that's likely, but it's possible, right? So in the short term, as an Illini fan, we put on those blinders of all these, you know, yellow flags, even red flags about why this isn't going to work and say, well, maybe it will. Maybe if just this and this breaks Illinois' way and if they could figure this out. And you, you glean on to those positives from the Purdue game, how the offense showed signs of life with the fourth string quarterback that showed he's got potential, right? Um, and yet I say all that and I try to get pumped for Saturday and I know I'll be pretty excited, right? But ultimately, where are we going? What does it mean? If there was something about the Purdue game that I noticed as I was watching it, and you can go back to that last podcast. I know it's days old now and the Purdue game is kind of old news, but you can kind of gather from me and Trevor and Isaac is that fourth quarter is wearing on. This is after Harry had signed off. That even as that comeback was being mounted, there was the initial excitement of, oh, oh, could it happen? Could they do this? Tempered by the fact that it was a weird game to begin with, that for whatever reason, Purdue just would not snatch away from Illinois. They were like, come on, Illinois, take another chance. Take another chance. They just could not quite put their uh, feet on our necks or our throats, sorry. And it just felt kind of silly. You know, it wasn't a comeback that made you feel warm and fuzzy inside. It was a comeback that made you think, what kind of game am I watching here? What a weird college football season. What a weird Lubby Smith era this has been. Another fake rally. Yeah, I mean, interesting, yes. Fulfilling, no. And that's kind of the Lubby Smith era in a nutshell, right? Interesting, absolutely. Fulfilling, hardly. Not at all. And it makes you wonder, what are we doing here? You know, what What are we looking for? What are signs of progress? And then you piggyback off that and say, well, is progress really enough? It's year five. This is all, of course, taking into consideration that you had some major inactives. You did not have your starting quarterback out there. You lost your second string quarterback after the first drive. So you had to make do with what you had. But then you look at the defense, fully healthy, fully intact, and they were pretty damn bad especially in the first half of that game. And even though Purdue didn't score a ton in the second half, it felt as if if they needed a score, they were going to get it. There wasn't really a sense that, oh, well, Lovey's defense has figured things out. And that's just a, a frustrating place to be in year five. And it gets me reflecting on so many things. My fandom, um, you know, what direction are we going to go until basketball starts here in the podcast? I mean, there's only so many times I can come on here and voice concern about the Lovey Smith era. But Essentially, that's the story right now, and it's pretty stagnant after two weeks. The Lovey Smith era, the jury is still out, though the evidence we have is not good. And what is it going to take for Lovey to finally figure some something out, some sort of consistency? That week to week, you know, coming into it, you got a, a puncher's chance. But more than that, week to week, you know, coming into it, you're going to feel the, a competent football team that is not going to fall behind two or three scores seemingly week in, week out. Jeremy made a point, and it's an obvious one, but yet I had not considered it. Five-game losing streak, the best of which was at Iowa, and you were coming off the four-game win streak, so maybe in the Iowa loss up at Iowa City last November, you were still kind of basking in the glow of that four-game win streak and thinking, well, if there is such a thing as a moral law, um, moral victory, excuse me, that would be it. But Northwestern, one of the worst performances I've seen, not just from Lovey Smith's teams, but really any line football team. That was an abysmal Saturday. The California bowl game, whatever, not, not particularly impressive at all, where the highlight was Brandon Peters diving and still short of a first down. That's what they put on the tape. And hey, listen, I'm not taking anything away from the effort of Brandon Peters, but it, it is Illinois football in a nutshell that the marketable image from the year before, at least in terms of, hey, check out our quarterback, is when he dove to make it fourth and short or whatever the situation was, right? <laughs> so you were now five games deep into a losing streak at a time when Lovey has told us time and time again that he has the horses now. He's got the team. He's got the roster he's waited for. And this is the best you got. And I know you aren't going to feel the best team you have against Purdue. 
when you don't have your starting quarterback out there. But you know what? The skill position players are out there. Other than Doug Kramer, the offensive line was out there. The offensive line actually had a pretty good game, all things considered. And your defense was there. Your specialist, you got Caleb Griffin in there instead of McCorp, but he made his field goal. He was fine. He made his extra points. Pretty good kicker himself. That I think was about to win the kicking competition the year before. So, you know, it speaks to a couple different things. On one hand, you got enough depth to theoretically overcome the losses that you had against Purdue and that you're going to have this week coming up against Minnesota. You theoretically can overcome that. But it doesn't matter. It's always something. You know, I think about the refrains of the Lovey Smith era. It's always something. If the offense has a great game, the defense decides to suck. And if the defense has a bad game, the offense decides to be good but not good enough. Right? It's always something. You cannot bank on anything. Apart, maybe, from Lovey's defense, we'll get at least one takeaway. That's all fine and good. That's all fine and good. But not sustainable. And knowing the margin for error, or lack thereof, with Lovey's current roster. Which, yes, they got nice pieces. Yes, I was excited to see these new toys. Daniel Bebe looking pretty good. Epstein gets a touchdown. Chase Brown looking good at running back. You're starting to see the skill position players maybe settle in a little bit. Great. That's all fantastic news and could bode well on Saturday against Minnesota. But the collective, cumulatively, it is not good enough. Or I should just say, it ain't good, right? I've said on this podcast before, put it on a poster, good enough or consistently competent. I'll take that and run with it. I'll take the seven and five, six and six, as long as they continue to field a competent team on the football field. And yet we see quarter after quarter of play where they are not really competent. Don't lower the bar. Quit lowering the bar, I should say. And I don't think a lot of fans have done that purposefully, but I feel it's almost like out of necessity. You know, like we understand that Lovey is not going to lead us to the promised land, right? We probably figured that out in year one which while that was an odd year and he inherited a not-so-great roster, there was enough wrong with that team and their performance and their lack of discipline that made you think, well, there might be something lost in translation here, right? But now in year five, go back to the press conference if you want. I mean, you don't have to, and I'm not going to personally, but I do, I do specifically remember Big Ten Championships. That was mentioned by Lovey. That was mentioned by Josh Whitman. Of course, in any sort of press conference when you introduce a new coach, that's going to be a talking point. And why not? You need to sell the program. You need to sell hope. And even I thought, you know what? If the recruiting can pick up, you're in the Big Ten West. Why not? Like, if everything goes right with Lovey Smith as your coach, yes, the ceiling is higher than it would have been under Beckman or Cubitt, right? We knew that. We knew that. The ceiling was higher. Well, unfortunately, we found out that you aren't getting anywhere near that ceiling. We won't even know where that ceiling would have been because there's been so much amiss since Lovey has gotten here. His first recruiting class is still his best. Still. And I understand you're selling you know, playing time and all that, and it could theoretically get tougher as you go along, but you would hope that inroads are built and relationships are built, and you can actually start getting guys in without having to resort to, I don't know, the, the, the fifth or sixth option depending on position for high school recruits, and then just go to the transfer portal for the rest of it. It's just such a patchwork sort of thing that I, I don't get what's going... I don't understand, you know? I remember last summer on 93.5 just stopping myself, and I, I just had a moment like that where I said to Juan, this isn't going to work. There's something wrong over there. Recruits don't want to come here. Transfers, yes, enough do that make it interesting and think, well, if they all pan out, and this, if this thing kind of can coalesce a bit, then yeah, sure, we, we might be good. But no, something is wrong. And let's not overcomplicate it, right? I told Trevor and Isaac, I think at the tail end of our podcast on Saturday, that if you look at the history of Illinois football and why this perpetuates itself, why does this continue? Why can we not get out of the basement? Ask yourself, when was the last coach that you had? Then another school wanted to hire away from you. Other schools were not knocking on the door for Bill Cubitt. <laughs> Obviously. Nice guy. I think he's calling plays at a high school somewhere. And he's in semi-retirement, so why not? No one will ever touch Tim Beckman again. Not as a position coach. I don't know where Tim's at now. I think he was doing some insurance down in Florida for a bit. Ron Zook. 
hey, special teams coordinator in the NFL, you could do worse. Head coach, no. And th- this was a guy that was an ace recruiter. That you got to be damaged goods to not get another go of it in college football. I mean, we see coaches recycled all the damn time, and no one wanted him. Ron Turner, what was it, Central Florida? Florida A&M, I forget which one. One of those Florida schools. And nothing. No one wanted your guys. Lou Tepper, he immediately went to Division Three. This is the history of Illinois football. It's where coaching careers go to die. Or maybe it's the opposite. The coaches weren't that good to begin with. And you're just toiling away. Not in obscurity, but just in badness. Below mediocre. I mean, this is not just like, oh, you're an average program and you just can't get over the hump. No, this is you're a bad program and you can't even get to average. You are the win on everybody else's schedule. In year five of Lovey Smith, you are the win on Minnesota's schedule to get off the schneid. You are the win on Nebraska's schedule when they can actually play a game again. Uh, you are that feel good, okay, see, we, we're better this year. We're, our offense is great. That's how we are marked. Not as, hey, that's a sneaky good team. Look out for Indiana. You know, the same thing we do with the Hoosiers right now. Man, I don't want any piece of them. Tom Allen might have figured it out. No one's saying that about Lovey Smith. And eventually, we can look at it with all the nuance, and I think it's appropriate to look at the total product, right? And the positives that Lovey has done, which I think overall has instilled a decent culture. You see, God, man, I'm struggling to even think of that. You know, the culture thing, sure, I guess we could go with that. Uh, He is, I guess, a respectable leader of men. I appreciate the kind of social um, issues that he's not afraid to touch on with his team. He even voiced some of that today in his press conference. That's great. Like, I appreciate that. And you could have a far worse representative of your university and your football program than Lovey Smith. That's absolutely true. But eventually, graduation rates and whether or not they went to the voting booth and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But we still want to win football games. And you aren't. Yes, they can win Saturday. Yeah, they could even win in a way where you're like, whoa, hold on now, wait a second. But when we get through this nine-game schedule, are you going to feel any better about the future of this program under Lovey Smith? Probably not. It would take a lot for me to feel that way. Given the realities, the financial realities that this athletic program and others its size are probably facing, and even the big ones like Ohio State that really don't have the kind of um, revenue, or I should say profit, right, whatever it is, revenue and expenses, they're about evening out, even for a place like Ohio State. You factor that in and you think, well, in all likelihood, Lovey's coming back. So then you say, well, well, Carp, are you rooting for him to succeed or rooting for him to fail? I'm not rooting for him to fail, right? And I guess because I know he will likely be back, of course I'm rooting for him to succeed and succeed in a way that makes me think, oh, okay, <laughs> I was wrong again, just like I was last year when they were two and four and then they were all of a sudden six and four, right? I'd love to be wrong again. I would. It just seems like there is less and less that we can hold on to in terms of, oh yeah, he's turned it around and he's going to keep this thing going in the right direction. We see that this is echoed by the athletic department. And there was a tweet on Saturday, and this is, of course, parsing words from a marketing Twitter account. Okay, so keep in mind the people behind it are just trying to put positive spins on Illinois' performance, and that's their job. I get it. But they said something to build on. That was the post-game tweet from the Illinois football account. Something to build on. We came up short, but it's something to build on. Now, of course, I reacted to it. <laughs> and But a lot of Illini fans did because while it is the job of a marketing department to put a positive spin on things, there was something quite tone deaf about it. We don't want to hear in year five against Purdue at home. At home. An okay Purdue team, but one that was missing Rondale Moore, their best player. We don't want to hear that it's something to build on. It's well past that time. What we saw on Saturday against Purdue would have been great in year three. Wow, the fourth string quarterback came out. We got some hope for the future of the quarterback position. We came back from a 31-10 deficit. The defense played pretty well in the second half. Maybe they're figuring things out. You know what? Yeah, in year three, I feel pretty good about that. Certainly better than the way that the Purdue game went in year two, right? Was it year two or three? No, year three, the uh, A.J. Bush would have started it, and you were down, what, like 41 to three at halftime, something like that. Uh, Yeah, it would have felt better than that, certainly. Year three, what happened Saturday? Okay. Year five, no. 
No, it's not. Is it technically something to build on? I guess in the literal sense, the Illinois football Twitter account was spot on. Yeah, it was something to build on relative to the Wisconsin game. (laughs) You know, you did have more positives against Purdue than you did the game before. Fine, something to build on. Technically, you're correct. But that's not the message that Illini fans want to be receiving. And in a way, I feel like Illinois football was kind of lucky that this happened on Halloween. What was a beautiful day? It's a weird year and season anyway. So at least speaking personally, I was able to turn the page on that fairly quickly, go about my day. Ho-hum. It kind of stinks, but we move on. Such is life, right? But it ain't good enough. Lovey's admitted that. Uh, Rod Smith has admitted that as well. And I think that there's some accountability over there. They They feel accountable for it, but eventually... Just win. That's it. Eventually, just win some games. And yeah, they got an opportunity Saturday, but uh, <laughs> the short-term, long-term thing, this is the constant back and forth that you're going to find on the 200 level where what do we really know, right? What do we really know about this team? And what will we find out anything substantial enough to make us change our minds in terms of, oh yeah, okay, okay. Well, let's keep going with this into a year six. I mean, that's purgatory. It feels like purgatory right now that we aren't going to get resolution enough this season. And it seems like more often than not, we don't get resolution in seasons, which made the end of last year so disappointing when a seven-win season was staring them right in the face and didn't happen. Six and seven feels a hell of a lot different than seven and six. A five-game losing streak is a hell of a lot worse than if they would have, let's say, won the bowl game against California. And then you just chalk this up to, well, rough start to the season, but maybe they can turn this thing around. Now, um, I need to address another thing here, too. So I've, I've talked before about I overall like what Josh Whitman has done as an athletic director. The facilities, that goes without saying. I think that he's a good representative for the athletic department. I like that he has at least, you know, verbally and through his actions as well, been very supportive of the student athletes themselves. Student athletes, Harry Black's favorite term. But this happened on Monday. Now, for those in Champaign, and really probably anywhere in Illinois or anywhere in the Midwest, Monday was an absolutely beautiful sunset. I was doing some yard work in the back, and I look out, and this would have been like, I don't know, 5 o'clock. Gorgeous. I mean, this is the best time of year, especially when you get unseasonably warm temperatures, and even though the sun's going down earlier, the sunsets are unbelievable. And Josh tweeted a picture of a sunset over State Farm Center, and it said, boy, You struggle and you fight and you win some and you lose some. And then you look out your window and are reminded just how fortunate you are and just how much you love this place. And everything comes back into focus. I am a proud and thankful Illini. Hashtag Illini family and then orange and blue hearts. (laughs) Now, I need to read some of the replies because uh, this didn't go very well for a good cross-section of Illini fans on Twitter. From OK Shelvin. Respectfully, Josh, we haven't had a winning season on your watch. Everyone loves the school. That's beside the point. There is a job to do and a record that measures the success. 15 and 36 during your tenure. There you go. From Randy. said, listen, Mr. AD. Five, Mr. AD, I like that. (laughs) Uh, Five years of bad in-state recruiting, coaching hires, game clock mismanagement, stubbornness to change, defensive scheme, some of the worst losses in Illinois history. Illinois football is a joke, and we need a proven college football head coach with a real college football offense. It's over. Uh, DS men or Dan apparently, uh, says, sorry, but you open yourself up to this with that kind of tweet. As it turns out, you don't win some at Illinois, you lose a lot. And it's not like some random chance, whether you win or lose, you are good or you are not. We are not. <laughs> uh, this is from, let's see here. You know, there, there's some nice ones there. Um, but, but Jerry, I think summed it up. Jerry kids is the uh, Twitter account. It's beautiful. How much longer do we have to deal with Lovey? And it's true. Yeah, like, yeah, it is a beautiful sunset, Josh. What's the point? <laughs> Quit telling me I don't need sunshine and rainbows when the reality is this is not a good football team. Again. Here we go. Again. It's becoming all too familiar. Now we got the athletic director tweeting out the equivalent of, you know, we're doing poetry unit right now, middle school. I'm going to get poems about sunshine and rainbows. Nothing wrong with that but they're going to be every bit as profound as what Josh tweeted out about the sunset picture. And maybe that sounds like I'm making it a little bit personal. (laughs) I don't want to do that, but it's like, dude, come on. (laughs) I like how you're representing this athletic department and this university 
And overall, I think you've done a good job. And I do not fault you for making the lobby higher. But to tweet out something like this is tone deaf. It's back to the something to build on. Tone deaf. We don't want to hear it. The fan base doesn't want to hear that crap right now. We are this close to just being entirely apathetic to what is going on with this football program because there's not much to get excited about. And then they're saying, hey, hold on, hold in there, uh, Illini fans. Something to build on. whoop de doo I've been told that many, many times from Ron Turner saying he'd like to look in their eyes. This is a long list of Illini coaches telling me or Illini AD is telling me things are going to be fine and then ultimately they aren't, right? So I don't need that from the marketing wing of the Illinois Athletic Department, something to build on. Just like I don't need the athletic director. Guy's got a freaking law degree and I'm getting a nice sunset picture of the State Farm Center and sunshine and rainbows. No, no. Yes, I'm happy to be part of the Illini family. I'm proud to be an alum of this school, just like you are, Josh. And I want wins, and you probably want them even more than I do because you got more skin in the game than I do as a player and now as an AD. Listen, I would never even attempt to compare um, the amount of time and energy I put in as a fan to the time and energy you put in as a player and now AD, right? Okay, apples and oranges. But eventually, as the AD, you are culpable. You are accountable for what's going on. Football is going to be a big part of his legacy. And he can't really say much right now that would make any of us feel better, right? If you were to ask Will Carp, what do you want him to say? Great question. I don't know. I guess the answer to that would be nothing. <laughs> don't, need a vo- don't need a vote of confidence. I certainly don't need a poem about how nice it is being the Illini family followed by an orange and blue Illini heart emoji. I, I don't need anything, really. I mean, I'm fine to just let the season play out, and then you, as the AD, make an educated decision on what is going to happen with this program going forward. I'm fine with that. But uh, it, it, it's vexing. <laughs> That's maybe an understatement. It's a little bit vexing to be sitting here and feeling like we're just hitting the replay button over and over. And that maybe, this is the scary part, maybe just maybe within that athletic department or that athletic director's office, there is an entirely different reality going on. We see one thing as a fan week in, week out. What if he's not seeing the same thing? Or what if he's tried so hard to convince himself that it's not as bad as it actually is? We kind of had that after year three with the extension, right? And we can laugh at that now and say, well, that was more of a, you know, extension in terms of like verbiage, but it didn't really change the buyout. And that's true. But it was still an extension that now is particularly coming into play because you won't be able to probably afford the buyout. Moreover, you didn't parlay that into any sort of recruiting success, at least high school, right? And we could say, well, you got some transfers. That's great. But listen, Another thing to keep simple here, if you wonder why Illinois has yet to ascend in the Big Ten West, you can look at recruiting rankings and they tell a big chunk of the story. You just simply haven't done good enough. So all of that, from the loss to Purdue, the 0-2 start, a defense that just simply ain't good, an offense that in the first start for Taylor, you saw some promise, but now that he's on tape, Minnesota, as bad as that offense is, are they going to make some adjustments, right? All of that together, it's a mess. It is a mess. And uh, I'm not optimistic going forward. I'm still excited to come here on Saturday, do the post-game podcast. Would love for them to win because in this year, I want interesting. Okay, I need at least interesting, mildly entertaining if we can get it. One and two is interesting. Oh, and three, not so interesting. Now we're just getting into a long slog and a seemingly endless nine-game schedule that probably can't end soon enough. I know we're already counting the days till basketball. We'll get to that in a second, but um, it would be nice as a sports fan in 2020 to just have a little something to hold on to. Unfortunately, the Bears, they, they seem to be kind of in a tailspin here. That was one of the worst quarters of Bears football I've ever seen on Sunday, the third quarter. And that's saying something because I remember the Dick Duran era. I remember the Mark Tressman era and the three years of John Fox. All the years of futility for the Bears and all the quarters of futility, the third quarter against the Saints, might be at the top. But um, now that they're kind of fading, I might need Illinois football to pick up the slack. That is a scary proposition. 
And I know there's a lot of Illini slash Bears fans, and it's just like, what the hell? Can we get a break? Can we get a football team that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot and doesn't look a complete mess all the time? Um, maybe we won't this year, right? But beating Minnesota, at least, for, for one, it is possible. It is certainly possible. They are not as good as Purdue right now. Purdue's 2-0 for a reason. Okay, they beat Iowa at home, and I know Iowa, they lost at home to Northwestern. Well, that might speak more to Northwestern than it does Iowa. Northwestern is a quarterback this year. Fitzgerald, yet again, seems to have things figured out up there. So Purdue's decent, right? They're middle of the pack, Big Ten West. Minnesota, if that defense does not get figured out, may be at the bottom with Illinois. So the question is, Illinois, are you at the very bottom or just in the realm? You know, are you in the muck or are you at the very bottom? Let's just get back up to the muck part of it and then see if we can't spring a random upset or two or just beat the teams that you're kind of equal to. A Nebraska, get over the hump with them. Beat Rutgers. Yes, they beat Michigan State the opening week of the season, but they still have issues. There's a path. It's dicey. I don't think this is going to turn around, but if it's going to, it needs to start Saturday. So at least we know there's a game with some consequence. All right, Illinois basketball, real quick, announced today that they will play the game against Baylor. December 2nd, pretty sure. December 8th would be the Illinois-Duke Big Ten ACC Challenge. That is two potential top 10 matchups in one week. This would be the second and third weeks of the season if they have the multi-team event at the State Farm Center, as we were told a few weeks ago. Never made official, but three teams, three games, three days, I believe, November 25th through the 27th. That's right around the Thanksgiving holiday, and that, that'd be great right, to start the season off with that, 3-0, and get some warm-ups at home before you play the big boys. And what I am excited about is with all the returning guys that you have, specifically Iowa and Kofi, of course, but also Trent and DeMonte. There's enough glue guys on that roster to make me think, well, wait a second. If you're thinking who would have the upper hand in an early season advantage, it would be a team like Illinois that returns all these guys as opposed to a team that is working with a bunch of new pieces. Now, I need to break down Baylor or Duke to know how many returning players are there. I think we can count on Duke bringing in a bunch of new four- and five-star kids, kind of replenishing the talent level. Baylor might be one of those cases where they're bringing back a bunch of veterans too. But regardless, you get an opportunity within the first three, uh, two, three weeks of the season against two top 10 caliber teams. You win one of them. Validation. You're right where you belong. And you would hang out in the top 10 really for the rest of the year, probably, as you get into Big Ten play and beyond. So good to hear that. Encouraging, right? Will they be able to carry these games out? I would think that because of the lower numbers of players per team, yes. I would think that you'd be able to get three teams into Champaign the day before your multi-team event, do all the testing. I mean, let's just have a non-conference with a bunch of home games. Bring them here. We got the test. Test the other teams. And before they set foot on your court, make sure that they are clean. That is doable, right? So I am at least somewhat encouraged by that possibility as opposed to football. And somehow they're still carrying that off even with a few uh, positive tests. It's going to be a weird college basketball season. you know. I mean, there's going to be great players that come down with COVID. It's going to happen. The numbers are skyrocketing everywhere. It's going to be a long winter. And sometimes you just can't avoid it. Brandon Peters, for example, probably was doing everything in his power to avoid it. And guess what? Even in Champaign County, the numbers are going up, and he got it somehow. So Io could get it. That would suck. I would love for each of those guys to be living in one-room apartments away from each other. So if one of them gets it, you don't have two or three guys that you got to quarantine through contact tracing or any of that. But it is doable. And boy, do we need it. <laughs> on, on so many fronts, we need Illinois basketball. Best roster that you've had since 0405. Legitimate top 10 team. Big 10 favorite. Weird year or not. Being able to see them in the State Farm Center or not. Give it to me because I'm actually, I'm enjoying watching football just on my TV in the comfort of my own home. Of course, I'd love to be in the stadium and feel that excitement. And I love to be in the lots and be able to engage with other fans face to face. But, you know, we've had months to prepare for the inevitable that if Illinois sports were returning, it would be on TV only. And in those intervening few months, I figured out, you know what? I can enjoy my sporting events just on TV. That's fine. I'll go with it. And if my teams win, it still feels pretty good. And this Illinois basketball team would win a lot. So please, for the love of God. And then, cherry on top, I think it's within the next week or two, Ty Ty Washington, the top 75 guard, will make his announcement. And if he commits to Illinois, 
then okay. 2021 is going to be a-okay. Luke Goody, Ty Ty Washington, couple guards. You somehow find your way to a big. And you can maybe do without a wing in that class because you will have the seniors in Grandison and Hutcherson next year. And uh, I feel as if overall with the recruiting, not going to freak out until you got to freak out. Right. And this is where Ty Ty Washington would be one of those acquisitions where you think, okay, you know what? They stem the tide. Worst case scenario was not going to come to fruition. And it, it'd be weird to get a top 75 guy and almost be, eh, whatever. That seems like a nice pickup. That tells you how far the bar has been raised under Brad Underwood in terms of recruiting. That Ty Ty Washington would have been the crown jewel of a John Gross class. And then you look at Underwood, an embarrassment of riches at the guard position especially. I mean, that, that is a far cry from when Tijon Lucas signed. And we're like, yay, Tijon Lucas signed. Thank God we got our third option at point guard. No offense to Tijon. He had some good moments, but not really a top 100 talent. And if you're going to be competing for Big Ten ta- uh, championships year in, year out, that's what you need, and that's what Underwood seems to be getting at a fairly high rate. So here's hoping that happens. Here's hoping the basketball games are actually played. And all will be well in Illini Nation. And then, Josh, if that's the case, you can retweet another picture of the State Farm Center with a sunset behind it. And you know what? I'll be all sunshine and rainbows, too. All right, before we go, uh, 40 minutes in this thing. You know, last night with the election, and it will continue, and votes are still coming in. And, you know, if you're a Biden supporter, as I am, then, yeah, you feel pretty good about where... Pennsylvania may end up, and of course, this could all be dated miserably by the time you listen to this, but you feel good about the states that you need to get to 270, and it did not feel that way election night, and it was difficult to not go down the rabbit hole from 2016, and I think just out of a self-protective measure, I refused to do that. I was like, okay, okay, there's probably still mail votes out there. We won't know for sure. I'm going to try to get some sleep. Well, Four hours of on-again, off-again sleep later, and here I am kind of slap-happy on <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon with no resolution yet in terms of the election. I will say the biggest disappointment, regardless of if Biden wraps this up or not, in my heart of hearts, I was hoping for a complete repudiation of Trumpism. And when I say Trumpism, it really has far less to do with policy than it does character. And in thinking about my role as an educator, you know, I, I don't broach partisan politics with the kids. It would be my role to do that. But you still want to instill certain values and try to be a model for them in how you act and how you communicate and all those sorts of things. And Trump kind of flies in the face of a lot of those norms that I just adopted from a young age, thanks to my parents and my teachers and all that. It is a character thing for me. And it goes beyond policy and it goes well beyond conservative liberal. I, you know, between family friends and actual family, more like, you know, extended family and even friends that, you know, we zoomed last night during this. And I know that there is this spectrum of liberal to conservative and that you could chart us all over that spectrum and we aren't going to end up in the same place. And that's fine. We have constructive conversations. We listen to each other. I've, I've tried very purposefully to not cast aspersions on Trump supporters or say Republicans this or conservatives that because I've always kind of pushed back against this idea of tribalism or that you must be with one or the other. You know, it's, I would never register for a party or anything like that. It's just not something that I feel jives with the idea of wanting to be an individual and wanting to be able to have your own thoughts and opinions and things like that. But when it comes to what what I'm most disheartened by is that at the end of the day, let's say Biden goes on to win this thing. Well, the Republicans held the Senate, uh, which is a bit of a surprise. And Trump will not have lost in any landslide. You know, the popular vote's going to keep creeping up for Biden. But in the Electoral College, this thing was close. Kind of like 2012 was kind of close with Obama-Romney. You know how 2004 Bush won, but it was close with him and Kerry. This was anything but a rejection of Donald Trump. Anything but that. He expanded his vote. I thought, you know, coming into this, Biden may not be the most electrifying guy, but, you know, he's pretty palatable. He's not offensive. He's he's someone that in some of those places Trump won, I thought was going to play well. 
And in the Midwest, that may be the case, right? He's doing just better enough to potentially win all those Midwest states. Michigan, Wisconsin, they just called officially as I'm doing this podcast. And then Pennsylvania, we'll see with all those mail votes. But all that said, this is not at all a rejection of Trump. And I think about people I know that have kind of hardened. And, you know, I've probably hardened a little bit to the left side, too, you know, in the last four years, to be quite honest. But I know people that have hardened so much with, uh, I guess, their conservatism or really more their partisanship because I don't know how much uh, Trump is actually conservative to begin with. And it is a total cultural clash that it's not going to resolve itself anytime soon. And it does make me wonder, okay, well, what is the long-term viability of what we have going on here in America? Is this still a powder keg? Probably so. Is there still going to be a lot of conflict? Probably so. How do we resolve it? I don't know. I don't know. And in this podcast, I've certainly been critical of people, Trump included. And I've voiced my opinion and everything like that. But I think most people that know me and listen to this and see how I tweet, yes, occasionally I'm probably a bit of a smartass. But at the end of the day, I always try to be respectful of whatever I'm trying to argue for or against. I don't want to turn off someone that I could engage in a conversation with. I don't want to end a conversation prematurely. And it just seems like the rhetoric that we've dealt with the last four years, that that doesn't that's not just okay with a good chunk of our population. That's actually welcomed by a good chunk of our population. That's something I'm having a hard time kind of reconciling and figuring out, well, why is that? Why is it the people that I know that not even that long ago, I knew for a fact they didn't vote for Trump necessarily, but somehow over the last four years, they've kind of, you know, decided that they were going to embrace it in a way. I don't know. It's it's confusing to me and I don't get it. And maybe that means that I need to do some inventory and figure out, okay, well, what, what am I not seeing? What perspective am I, um, am I not understanding here? What could I learn, I guess? But there's also the other side of it to me that is a, a fairly black and white issue. Just respect other people and, and, and stop denigrating large groups of people and, um, and let the votes be counted and let the democracy run its course. And it seems like there are more often than not, especially today, just a deluge of challenges to the votes being counted. These unfounded reports of voter fraud and things like that from Trump and his campaign, or at least allegations, right? And uh, that ain't right. That 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 just goes beyond any sort of, you have your opinion, I have mine. No, there's right and wrong. Just like I said, let's not overcomplicate it with Illinois football. Why have we sucked historically? We haven't had good coaches. Why has the rhetoric in this country gotten so bad? I don't need to hear the both sides thing. Yes, both sides are culpable, but equally so? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. We'll see where it goes. I saved this for the end of the podcast just in case you want to say, you know what, Carp? I'm good. I'm out of here. Uh, we will, of course, be back on Saturday. I don't think before then. So who knows? Maybe Saturday by the time the Illinois-Minnesota game kicks off, we will have a president-elect, even though God knows this things can get litigated up the ass. But <laughs> you know, it will be nice to have resolution. I'm hoping, God, I'll take gridlock right now. I know that's not really productive, but I'd take Biden presidency, Republican Senate. As I told a friend today who politically is more conservative, I'll take that area where instead of being pissed off, extremely pissed off about everything, everyone's just mildly pissed off, right? And they aren't mildly pissed off 24-7. It's maybe every few days. I think to cool the temperatures, it would be nice to get back to that point where Politics is something that we do not think about every day. Mental health people. Like, I mean, last night I consumed more cable news in a single night than I have. To be quite honest, in the last four years, I made a conscious decision after 2016 to not watch cable news, even though there are good people doing good work on it, but it's just not conducive to good mental health. It's not. And uh, there's been a lot of people that probably have went full on into the cable news thing. Actually, I know people that have, and it hasn't done any good, right? It's okay that we don't think about politics every time. And that might sound like a, coming from a place of privilege, and I guess it kind of is, but it is okay to sometimes just let it be 
tune in, know what's going on, but not dwell on it all the time. I've tried not to do that myself. Of course, during an election, it's hard not to do that. But um, thanks for indulging me. Just had to get that off my chest because we're all thinking about it. How productive were you at work today? I mean, I we had a decent day at school, but I know that my head was elsewhere and it was difficult to stay focused. And that will probably be the case for the rest of the week and who knows, maybe even beyond that. But I do want to say that as conversations continue and dialogue um, remains open, that whether it be Twitter or whether it be a rating or review or even emails like some I've gotten with, with listeners before, I hope you understand that I am always trying to come from a place of listening to what other people got to say, and that doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it, but not trying to respond in any sort of dismissive way either. I don't want to be dismissive, um, and I want to keep those lines of communication open. So that might be a long-winded way of saying, can't we all just get along? All right, on that note, I'm going to wrap things up. We got a podcast Saturday. Excited to do it again with Trevor, Isaac, maybe Harry. We'll see about the timing. A reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. I'm on at dpdoe.com. Coupon code Mike for $5 calzones. $5 calzones. $6 premium and construction zones. Those things are loaded. Loaded. But if you've had DP Doe, you know that's a great deal. And if you've never had it, well, what are you waiting for? Order online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Coupon code Mike for $5 calzones at dpdoe.com. State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Got our homeowners and auto bundle from him. Super easy process. Brian's Brian's the guy. He's my guy. He's our guy. He should be your guy too. Brianismyguy.com. And 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off your order. Buy two t-shirts. Get one free. 4thandkirby.com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. All right. We're going to take a few days off until we get back to it Saturday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy. Know that I love each and every one of you regardless of your political persuasion. And uh, we'll see you soon, everybody. It is the 200th level.